Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible open to 1 Peter, we'll be in Genesis 39 this morning, but I'm not going to read all the way through it. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would stand with me. As I read, starting in verse 13. To verse 16. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy. In all your conduct, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul writes, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, He will also provide you a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you and we ask that we need and confess that we need your presence always. And Father, we pray and ask that you would help us in our times of struggle with temptation to remain faithful, to fight off our adversary and to finish the race without being disqualified. Father, our only source of victory in this life is Jesus Christ. Father, I pray in our life And in this place, as your people are gathered, that you will always be praised for your presence, for your prominence, and your power. Father, we pray that you lead us not into temptation, but we acknowledge that you have and will continue to deliver us from evil at the cross and in the power of the resurrection. Father, we pray that you would lead us to victory as we remember that in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we live, we move, and we have our being. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. How many of you like to fish? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you like to catch? Yes. Few more that time. All right. 
So when I go fishing, I don't actually go fishing. I go baiting because the children are there. And they're not to the point where they're loving the worm thing on the hook. Daddy, can you do this? Okay, maybe I'll get one hook in the water. And, you know, if I'm batting a thousand when I go fishing, yeah, ain't nobody doing that. But you know that worm, right? It serves as an enticement to that fish so that that fish becomes dinner on my plate. Fried, preferably. Blackened is okay, too. No animal, bear, coyote, wolf, whatever, goes looking for the trap. The mouse doesn't go looking for the mouse trap. The wolf doesn't go looking for the, the wolf trap, the snare. Okay? It's all because, like the mouse, it's all because of the lust for the cheese, right? Behold the power of cheese. That mouse is deceived, not recognizing that that cheese is sitting on top of a trap. The power of lust for the cheese deceives the mouse until it's too late. So it is enticed, it's deceived, or it's duped by something that is legitimate. So it seems to create an opportunity for the destruction of the prey. When we look at the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, this is a moment when he will be enticed by Mrs. Potiphar. And he will handle it correctly. And it's a model that you and I can take and apply to our life. Why start in 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians? Well, I think it applies back when we look into Joseph's life. And we see his mind was prepared for action. He was ready. He lived his life for the Lord, realizing, acknowledging that God's presence was with him. And that we see, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, that God will provide a way of escape And we see in Joseph's life that time of escape that he took advantage of that and he fled. And we need to acknowledge in our own life on this day that God's presence is with us in in our daily routine. That we can take on the example that Joseph set for us and apply it and avoid falling into temptation and being disqualified at the end of the race. So we look at Genesis chapter 39. Did not read from the whole chapter. We'll go through it uh, kind of in an overview, but we first quickly see that it is God's presence all around Joseph. Joseph has had a hard time in his young life. He's not an old man by this time. He's still young in age. He's not been married. He doesn't have a family yet, but young in his life, early in his days, Joseph had a dream given to him by God, and in that dream, he is standing with his brothers and his family kneeling down before him. Now, whether it was wise or not, he went and told his brothers that dream. You'll remember that part of the story. That didn't sit well with his brothers. It wouldn't sit well with my brother if I told him one day he was going to be kneeling before me, right? I, I wouldn't do that to my brother because, you know, he was in the army and he could take me out pretty quickly. So I'm not going to do that. But you get the picture. The youngest of the family somehow would rise to power, the rest of the family bowing down to him. So do we see there that Joseph is in a position of authority over the rest of the family. What, what's going to happen, we'll get there next week, but really Joseph is going to be in a position uh, uh, of help, a position of rescue rather than a position of, of power. But his brothers and even Joseph didn't realize that just yet. But these brothers of his had sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites, and he's taken to Egypt where Potiphar buys him 
off the market and makes him a servant in his home. Now, if you look at verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master, and he became his personal attendant. That's not the last time we're going to hear that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. In fact, it shows up in verse 21 at the end of the story and verse 23, where we hear the phrase, the same phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence played a real and impactful uh, reality for Joseph in his, in his walk, in his life, as he's living, uh, as he's going about his daily business out so far Joseph has always had people over him, and they've kind of determined where he's going. Now he's a slave in Egypt under Potiphar. That doesn't sound like a glamorous life. Slavery is, a, is even still kind of a negative thing back then. Although he's in power, he's still owned by somebody. And he's not in the promised land anymore. He's in godless, dark Egypt where uh, there's really no hope of anything, uh, and you're just hoping the Pharaoh is fair. But here... What we see in the godlessness and the darkness of Egypt is that God is still there with Joseph. So far, as we looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph, God's faithfulness is so clear all throughout, and it will remain all throughout the Old Testament, that his faithfulness to his covenant promise that God would be their God and they would be his people, even when his family sold him off. God is the God of nations. He's not just the God in the promised land. He's not just God in this room. He's also the God in Egypt. He's over everything that's happening there, which we'll again, we'll see when we get to Exodus. But in verse two, again, we read, the Lord was with Joseph. That's God's covenant personal name, Yahweh. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, all caps, that's Yahweh. That's his personal name where he discloses that to Moses later. I am who I am. That's, what it, that's how it's been written here. So the, the I am was with Joseph. That great truth bookends this story, and it gets pretty ugly because he's going to get thrown into prison here in just a few minutes. When I, when I read chapter 39 this week and I studied through that, what, what struck me was, where is his bitterness? I mean, think about his story again. He's daddy's favorite, and daddy let it be known that he was daddy's favorite. His brothers were already jealous because of that. He got the special coat. Then he has these dreams. He has these visions where he's rising to power and the family, the brothers are all around him, kneeling down to him, submitting to his authority. They whoop him pretty good, leave him in the bottom of a well for dead. One brother gets upset, gets kind of, he has some kind of conscience about it and he comes back and brings him up and let's, let's sell him into slavery. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites. You'll remember with Ishmael, they're from his line. That's not the line where the covenant promise of God is. That's through Isaac, which is Joseph's family. Isaac, Jacob, now Joseph is there. He's a part of that, but they're selling him to the family, the side of the family that's not a part of the covenant to go down into Egypt. And now he's sold into slavery. I mean, this doesn't seem for the moment that God is with him. Uh, And where is the bitterness? Where is the resentment in his life? And as far as I've read, you don't see it. You won't see it here. You won't see it later in the story. He had every reason to distrust God at this moment. He had every reason to be bitter toward his family. Thoughts of revenge could have 
filled his heart and filled his soul and found safe harbor there to just grow and fester. And yet Joseph makes a stunning decision. He still chooses to trust God when he's at the bottom of the well. He trusts God on the way to Egypt, and he trusts God as he sold into slavery to Potiphar, and he's still going to trust God when he's in prison. There's two things that will help you in this life when it comes to resentment. Because if resentment takes up residence in your life, it's going to lead to a destruction of your relationships. It will every time. If, it's, if it's caught, some, some hurt comes in, you get angry about it. If you don't forgive in that moment, which is the second part of that, if you don't forgive... It's going to build up resentment and your relationship's going to be destroyed. It's going to happen in your family. It's going to happen in your marriage. It's going to happen at work. Listen, you got to trust in God's sovereignty, his presence, and his plan in your life. Always trust in the presence of God. Always trust that whatever is happening to you, there's something that's good that's going to come of that as long as you're loving him and serving him and walking in obedience. Two is you got to practice forgiveness. We've got to practice forgiveness. And I think that's in Joseph's heart. We'll see that come out next week. When we look at Joseph, it's an extraordinary character study. I like the way Kent Hughes phrased it. He says, if you're going to do a character study on Joseph, you're going to see that he is a skyscraper on the plains of spiritual history. He stands out above everyone else. You don't see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's faults in Joseph. You see somebody different. You see somebody that no matter what's going on, he's trusting in God's presence. And you see that is the foundation of Joseph's success. He trusts God. He lets God do the blessing. The Lord made everything he did successful. It wasn't Joseph. It was God's hand upon Joseph and his blessing. Now, in all of that faithful presence of God, by his grace and his mercy, he's blessing Joseph. You'll see that he blesses Potiphar because Potiphar is blessing Joseph. You remember that part of the promise? He said, I will bless those who bless you? That's coming to life, coming to, to fulfillment right here with Joseph in Potiphar's house. Potiphar noticed that Joseph had, had something different about him. Potiphar noticed that God, his God, Joseph's God, was blessing Joseph, and that if he was blessing Joseph, then God would bless his home. And so he puts Joseph in charge of everything except what he's going to eat. That's amazing. And Potiphar's home and his, his holdings, everything is blessed by this moment. What we find in Joseph is that he's working hard. You know, there's a text back in the, old, in the New Testament. We'll come back to that later. But it calls us to work, that as we work, we work for Christ. It calls us to have that mindset as if we're working for the Lord in all that we do. We'll come back to that as an application later. But I really see that coming out in Joseph. He's working hard. He's, he's working hard because he's trusting God. And he finds favor in that. Now, we move on in the story. And right about verse, uh, into verse 6, into verse 7, we got problems in the penthouse. Problems in the penthouse. That, the penthouse would be Potiphar. He's, uh, he, he's a government official in Pharaoh. He's got lots of money. He's wealthy. Problems in the penthouse. Look at the end of verse 6. <clears throat> he, that is Potiphar, left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. There you go. He's a good-looking dude. He's all right. Probably strong and sturdy. He's a hard-working. He's a good-looking dude. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. An invitation. 
Potiphar's wife and her lust for Joseph <clears throat> over, overcame her. And it's not just a one-time proposition. It's not just a one-and-done proposition, but this is a, a, a daily assault, if you will, on Joseph's godly character <clears throat> and on his life. It's not new in the Old Testament. It's going to happen several other times <clears throat> in the Old Testament. We have David. David wasn't seduced by another woman. Rather, he did that. He was the instigator in that. But you've got Samson and Delilah. That's not a wholesome union. You've got Solomon who married too many wives, which God had warned him about, <clears throat> but he didn't listen. But Joseph in this moment, Joseph gets it right. Look at verse eight. Uh, verse eight. Excuse me, I'm going to clear my throat. All right, hopefully I turned my mic off for that. I think I did. Okay, verse eight. But he refused. Look, he said, to his master's wife. With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in his, this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? Uh, verse 10. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, See, it's a daily assault on his godly character, on Joseph. He refused to go to bed with her. Now, verse 11, the story turns just a bit. He goes into the house to do his daily work. Verse 12, she grabbed him by his garment, by his coat, and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. Joseph did it right. Joseph did it right. He ran away. He fled the temptation. Joseph has that sense of that standard of God's standard, which is adultery has always been a sin. It doesn't become a sin when he gives us the commandments in Exodus chapter 20. It's always been against God's standard. For this reason, a man will leave his family and cleave to his what? Wife, one singular wife. It's always been a standard for God. And Joseph is aware of that. And so he's practicing that. He runs away. Look what he says. He calls it, it's an immense evil. Not only is it against God, which is primary for Joseph, but he also says it's an immense evil against Potiphar, his boss. He's going to harm his boss if he does this with uh, Mrs. Potiphar. Daily battle, resisting her advances against him. And finally, he runs off and he escapes. It's not the first time Joseph's been doomed by a garment either, is it? The coat of many colors, right? It was, it was left behind, and that's what his brothers took back to dad to show him that he had been killed Right? That was fake news, and here he goes again. He's going to be the subject of fake news again. And here, when, uh, when we see that he runs away, he's going to get caught, or he's going to get lied about, and he's going to be put into prison. But we find that in Joseph, his faithfulness to his boss, and more importantly to his God, wins the daily struggle. All right? He wins. Couldn't he have just given in, slept with her once, and then gone on and never been in prison? Doesn't that seem like the right thing to do? No, that's the wrong thing to do. That's called sin, and that's what Joseph didn't want to go into. Little sins, like a liar, just, just this one time, is always going to pave the way for bigger sins. Always. You can't quit whenever you want to. That's a lie from the enemy. Right? You got, you got to understand that this is a battle that we are waging war against every single day. Our lives are under assault by the enemy and adversary and the temptation to, sit, to give in to sin. It's always there. The greatest deterrent for Joseph, though, is the same for you and me. It's God's presence in his life. 
For you and me, that's the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll get there in a few minutes, but that's what it is. That's how we know. I love that old hymn, Trust and Obey. Listen, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Let us do his good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. God's presence in our life plays a major role for us. And I wonder, do you sense God's presence with you? Do you sense that the Holy Spirit is indwelling this temple? And that that is one of the greatest deterrents to sin. And so she approaches one more time. He runs off. Then she changes the story. Here's her fake news. The Hebrew slave, Potiphar, comes back. Not only does she tell Potiphar, first she tells the household, the other servants, and everyone else in the house, let's get the pot stirred up, right? Let's start spreading fake news. Let's start spreading gossip. Get people angry. Get their feathers ruffled. I've been wrong. I'm a victim. Blah, blah, going on and on. All the while, it's a lie on her part. She's the one that started it. Then Potiphar comes home. That Hebrew slave you trusted so much. That Hebrew slave you brought home. He tried to make a fool of me which we know is not true. She's lying through her teeth, but her lie works. It gets Potiphar upset, gets him enraged. And so he has Joseph thrown into prison. Here's how you know God's hand is upon Joseph because he probably would have had sentenced to death if God had not been over his life in this moment. But God was with him. And even in the dark years of this imprisonment, which picks up in verse 21, we see that God blessed Joseph and never left him even in prison. Verse 21, we pick up the Joseph the jailbird, I call him. Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in, in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under, his, under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Isn't that amazing? Even in prison, in prison for the wrong reason, in prison because of a lie, God is still with Joseph. Listen, if you're in a tight spot, right? You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You need to remember and know that in Christ, God is with you. He has not left you. He will not leave you. He promised that if you are in him and you are his child, he will not leave you in those moments. In fact, he's not going to leave you, but he's going to lead you through those moments. Let's do a quick recap on Joseph. Daddy's favorite. Brothers are jealous, led to hatred, led to try to kill him, left him at the bottom of a well, sold into slavery, thrown into prison because he was right and refused to sin with Mrs. Potiphar. Now in prison, God is with him and blessing his life there. God will use that to bring him out of prison and to bless Pharaoh and Egypt, ultimately leading to bless those who harmed him in the first place, which was his family. God's going to redeem that hardship. He's going to redeem this. And we just got to keep in mind the dream that Joseph had from God where he is standing and his brothers are all around him. God's going to bring him through it, but we got to trust his presence. Until then, we'll close out this morning with a couple of points from the New Testament to help us in our walk and see in Joseph's life how we can apply this to us. We want to find victory over temptation and sin. Listen, the first thing is this. We got, just like Joseph, we got to trust in God's presence. 
We got to keep trusting in his presence. It might feel like a broken record that I keep saying this every week, but for some reason it's there in scripture. So we're going to keep saying it. We trust in God's presence. For us, God's presence is found in Jesus Christ. Don't you remember our Christmas uh, message series? Emmanuel, God with us. Once you've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes, uh, comes to indwell in you, and there his job is to seal you, protect you, comfort you, and lead you and guide you. That's his job. That's how we know that his presence is real. But when we look at Jesus Christ, we need to remember, he is the ultimate expression of God's intent to be with his people. Listen to the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now down in verse 14, John says this. The Word became flesh, right? The Word that was with God and was God. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John was an eyewitness to the Word. The other disciples were also eyewitnesses to the word become flesh. This is God's intent to dwell with his people. We must trust and continue to trust in his presence. And the Holy Spirit allows us to know that he is still with us today. The Holy Spirit helps us to remember what Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Something else we find in Joseph's life is his, what we call, work ethic. Whatever you do, work for Christ. And whatever you do, work for Christ. Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I see that in Joseph. Was he serving Christ? He was serving the presence of God. He was serving his God. Yes, He was serving the Lord Christ. There's a great truth right there from Joseph. That no matter the situation, whether you're your daddy's favorite, you're at the bottom of the well, you're on a journey with the Ishmaelites to Egypt, you're in slavery, whatever you're doing, in prison, it doesn't matter. You work for the Lord. God's blessing is all over Joseph and his life. If you're trusting and living in God's presence, then you will commit your life and your work to him. That's work ethic. That's work ethic. Wholeheartedly ask for the Lord. And then you let him bear the fruit in your life. That's, that, that, that's how we can look at our employment and our work as worship. We, we live our life as, as a lifestyle of worship. We want that to, to be a part in it. Others, just like Potiphar, just like the, the warden saw, hey, something's different about this guy, Joseph. God's presence is upon him. There we see the evidence of a deep trust in God's presence. We commit ourselves that whatever we do, as long as it's God's plan and that's his will and not like, okay, I'm going to do what I'm going to go sin for Christ. No, that's not what we're saying. Whatever you do that he has called you to do, you do it as if you're working for him. Let him rule your, your, your employer. Let, let him rule in, in, your place of, in your place of business. Even if Life isn't fair. Like we know that life is not fair, but we as Christ followers, we have to remember we're in the world, but not of it. We're, we're in Christ. In Christ wins out more than being in this life. And even when life is not fair, we remember that we serve a God of justice. It's his that's vengeance, not ours. 
We don't seek vengeance or revenge for ourselves, and we don't avenge ourselves. We let God take care of that. We serve the God of grace and mercy as well. That's what we need to be handing out, not vengeance and justice. Commit your work to the Lord. Would you do that this week? Commit each and every day to the Lord. Because we see in Joseph, everything he did prospered. How about this? How about a way to do this is to, to pray tomorrow morning before you go to work, before you step in the classroom, before you, you jump in your pickup truck and head off to the, to, the, to, the, to the factory or to the plant or wherever else you might be going. What if you just pray for your work day? Before you put it in drive and leave, pray for your work day. It's part of my job to pray for my day. <laughs> but I'll confess, sometimes I forget. And it's pretty clear when I do. But what if we did? Pray for each day that each day that we step in foot, we step foot in the office door, we, we took up our lesson plans, we sat down in our chair, turned on our computer, climbed into the cab of the work truck, put on our coveralls. Uh, you fishing guides out there, I'm sus- suspicious if you're really working or not. I think that's playing. Just saying. But you take that challenge. Take that challenge and see in Joseph, that challenge this week that if you don't regularly pray for your bosses, your employer, or if you are the boss, that you pray for your employees, your work site, your job site, your classroom, your your office, whatever it is, that you just lay that before the Lord, commit it to the Lord Jesus. And, And here's what I told the first service, be a blessing, don't be a burden. Be a blessing, don't be a burden. And you might say, well, what has this got to do with sin and temptation? Oh, everything. Joseph was not lazy. Proverbs chapter six says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The sin of laziness and idleness will get you into trouble. Because this is really just, again, focusing on temptation that's before us. So we commit ourselves to work for Christ, to trust in the presence of God in our life, practically each and every day as we're praying for work, we're praying for those things, we're also preparing for battle. This is the battlefield. The Bible says that we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and things and the cosmic powers in the present darkness, Paul says, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. And he finally says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, not ours. We don't find it somewhere within some uh, warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, like to, to somehow muster the strength to resist. We've got to be strong in the Lord, which means we're trusting in his presence. We're committing our ways to the Lord. I wish I had more time to go into all of these uh, 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 the armor of God, but he says we are to put on the armor. That's how we do it. We put on his armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the feet prepared with gospel readiness. We take up the shield of faith, ready to extinguish the flaming darts of our enemy and adversary. We put on the helmet of salvation and we go to battle with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, and we're praying at all times in the spirit. And then we stay alert we're always alert. Joseph was alert when Potiphar, when Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, would approach him daily with that proposition, and he daily resisted. 
Yeah, but he got into trouble for it, but he did what was right. God blessed him even in the next stage of that. He still blessed him. All in preparation. Because if Joseph doesn't go into prison, he doesn't meet the two guys that have the dream, which is the next chapter. And, and then the guy that does have the dream is eventually before Pharaoh. And he says, hey, wait a minute. There's this guy in prison. And he can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. And then Joseph doesn't come out of prison and stand before Pharaoh and start serving Pharaoh, which is how God will lead him to bless his family out of Canaan. God always has a plan. We got to trust that plan. Not only are we preparing for battle, but then once we're ready, we got to fight the good fight. We got to fight the, the good fight of the faith. Temptation, whether it's laziness or a sexual temptation or a temptation to do something else, there's all kinds of stuff we can get into. Whatever it is, we need to remember it's a daily assault on our holiness and our godliness. The enemy does not want the church to be holy. The enemy does not want the church to be godly. The enemy wants us to look like the rest of the world so that we, somehow we lose the, 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 uh, the ability to share the gospel and tell others about God's grace and mercy. But listen, you are engaged in spiritual battle. And in Christ, we are called to holiness. He says to be holy because he is holy. And so he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are sojourners and exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which are waging war against your soul. Then he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This is exactly what we see in Joseph. Everything Joseph did, he's working for the Lord. And he gets the testimony. He gets to say why. This is what we do. The desire of your heart is the battlefield. What's going on up here and in here is the battlefield. It's the birthplace of temptation. That's where it starts. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God does not, uh, cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. There you go. It's that cheese on top of the trap. Lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Look out for the rotten cheese on top of the trap, okay? It's there. It's the ugliest baby ever born in Scripture, and it's called sin. It comes in lots and shapes and sizes, but Joseph did it right. He did it right. He ran away. We don't just run away, but we run too. And we seek Christ. That's what Paul says to the Colossians. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. We seek Christ. Finally, let me finish with this. And it is to finish well. Paul had his imagery, his athletic imagery, which I relate to so well. But towards the end of his life, he would just simply write, listen, you got to finish well. Having done all of those things, God will always provide you a way out. First, uh, First Corinthians 10, 13, we already read it. He says, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. You see Joseph's escape. He ran away. He ran off. Then he says, so that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape is how we persevere. That's how we continue on. That's how we press on. Then he says also in 1 Corinthians, the chapter before that, in chapter 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, that is, obtain the prize. Athlete, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. We do the same. 
Verse 27, Paul concludes, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Friends, you've got to finish well. You've got to endure. You've got to press on. And if you find yourself under that constant battle of facing temptation, it's not going to go away because we are still breathing. And as long as we're breathing, as long as we have life, we will always have our enemy and adversary coming at us. But there is victory in Christ. And we described that to you already this morning. If you can't see the way out and you are giving in to the temptation, would you please pray this morning as our praise team comes in a few minutes to lead us, would you please take that moment and ask God to reveal to you so that you can run? You know, like if I got to say it, run forest, run. Run away. There's no shame in that. Run away from the temptation and yet run into Christ in his presence in your life.